What's happening, CMU sports fans? Welcome back to Maroon and Bold, your home for everything Chippewa sports. I'm your host and CM Life sports editor, Sean Chase, here for the final episode of the 2022 fall semester. This week, we'll dive into CMU football's loss to EMU and the transfer situation currently, volleyball's trip to the NIVC, women's basketball picking up the first win of the season, and men's basketball's start to their season. There's a lot to discuss, so let's jump right in. And we're going to start with football, everybody's favorite sport on campus. We're going to welcome on assistant sports editor Ashley Berkness and CM Life football beat reporter Ryan Calores. How's it going? Um, pretty good. You know, just kind of hanging in there right now, but but pretty excited to talk about, um, kind of wrap up I'm this good, football Sean. How season are you? here. I'm alive. Unlike the CMU football team season. It is over. <laughs> After losing to Western Michigan by two points in a blizzard, the football team headed to Ypsilanti to finish their season. Bowl eligibility was not on the line, but we were hoping for a positive end to the year. It's not what happened when y'all made the trip. They ended up losing 38-19 on November 25th, the dreaded Black Friday game that nobody shows up to. You could count the people in the stands on your fingers. What did y'all see from the team in that loss? Um, I think the thing that, um, especially considering, you know, they weren't obviously weren't playing for bull eligibility. They weren't playing to like get a, you know, secure a better spot or whatever. They were kind of just, you know, finishing out the season. And so I think my biggest takeaway was, uh, the, the play of just the quarterbacks and kind of how that whole like situation kind of wrapped up in that last game. And I mean, to be honest, it wasn't, it wasn't great. Uh, Bauer, th- uh, he kind of took most of the um, most of the snaps, and he was seven for fifteen for sixty-eight yards, and threw three interceptions. Ballin. <laughs> so, <laughs> and another game where uh, D. Rich basically did not play. Um, I think he had two snaps, and one of them was on like a two-point conversion, so it doesn't even count in the uh, box score. But anyway, in our hearts, though. <laughs> But but yeah, so I think the biggest thing was, uh, I guess with Bowers kind of last chance this year, he didn't really impress in terms of throwing. So I think it'll be more. Uh, the next time we see some quarterbacks, it'll kind of be. I think it'll be Burt's show basically. That was my biggest takeaway. I felt like I was watching two different teams in the first half versus the second half. I thought the first half I was like, okay, it's not great, but it's was better than what they they were doing in the second half, so I don't know what would happen. Yeah, it seemed like they – I'm not going to say they stopped caring, but that second half spark that we've seen all year was not there Gone. anymore. And like you mentioned, Ryan, 10 shots, D-Rich, two snaps. Three snaps through the last two games, both of which you were losing and needed to pass, and D-Rich doesn't play. Mm-hmm. Questions are swirling. It's December 5th when we record this Monday. Transfer portal window is open for people who are not graduated. D. Rich's name is not on the list yet, but let's let's uh, let's prognosticate. Do you think that we see D. Rich enter his name in the portal? I think yes. I think those last two games with him only getting like a total of three snaps, I think he leaves. I think he goes to the portal and he's out of here. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like we, we've talked about in the past, like, he definitely has enough arm talent, enough ability to go, um, you know, if he wanted to go play for, like, an FCS program or something. Um, I, I think, you know, he's plenty talent, talented enough to go do something like that. 
Um, my only question really would be like, you know, would he be able to, or would he have that opportunity in, um, you know, for any other like FBS program? Um, but yeah, I, so I, I, I would I wouldn't be surprised, but it's it's really hard for me to say at this point. Yeah, I don't think he if he transfers, I don't think he goes to another big time D one program. I think that he hasn't shown enough outside of the Oklahoma State game where he looked like he was gonna be the next Heisman trophy winner and the first ever to do it from Mount Peasy. But he hasn't looked great the rest of the year. He struggled. There were passes that we were wondering why he was still playing. I don't think we see him in the transfer portal. I've heard through the grapevine that he's not going to, the only thing that makes me wonder is how much does D. Rich let his ego control his life? Because he calls himself 10 shots. He walks around with his own face on his shirts. He does all these things to get three snaps when you were the cemented starter at the beginning of the year, one against Western Michigan with the game on the line and you don't even see the field. I think that's going to be hard for us to, uh, or for McIlwain to rebuild that relationship. Now, one of my sources that I was talking to said that if Lou Nichols comes back, D. Rich is going to be a similar quarterback to what we saw in 2021 because they're going to have to go on D or on Lou Nichols. But we don't know what Lou is at this point either. He could he could be the running back we saw in 2021 where he was the best in the country, or he could be next year what we saw this year where injuries keep hurting him because they give him 50 carries for the first three weeks and his body is destroyed. Now moving forward because we didn't talk about the defense at all, but we'll talk about them a little bit. Thomas and Coombe has gotten an invite and accepted an invite to the Reese's Senior Bowl, which we all knew was going to happen. He's been a freak of nature this year. He's going to the league without a doubt. What are your guys' thoughts on him taking that invitation, and do you think he's going to – where do you think he falls in the draft process this year? I think – I mean, I think it's awesome that he – like the the Reese's Senior Bowl, that's like one of the big – if not the biggest, like, you know, pre-draft showcase. Um, last year, uh, CMU's offensive linemen, uh, Luke Gedeke, or Gedecky and Bernard Raymond, they both participated, and they were both day two picks. Um, now, I don't know – I know that, especially in, like, Raymond's case, a lot of that was projection based on his size, his athleticism, and, like – how little he's played the position. Um, and Incum is kind of in that same, uh, you know, kind of same mold where he's like, um, if I remember correctly, I don't remember the exact story, but I don't think he's been playing competitive football for as long as like a lot of other guys have. Mm-hmm. And he's already got an NFL frame and he's got, you know, he's got athleticism and he's produced at every level. So, um, so yeah, I think this is awesome. There's so many, uh so many resources that attend those practice days in the the, the game. Um, there will be eyes on him all over, and, and you know, I think definitely he'll I, – I think he's probably more likely to be a mid to late round pick, if I were to guess, but also I have no really knowledge of how he's viewed in that community. Um, so that would be my guess right now. Yeah, I think the Senior Bowl is uh, going to be a great opportunity for him. I think – all of the season he's shown out, and I think he's only going to show out even more at, uh, in the Senior Bowl and showcase what he can really do, and I think um, it'll help him. No, I agree. I think he's going to get paid. I think I don't know where he falls in the draft process like you were saying, Ryan. I'm hoping he ends up in Detroit, to be real. You put him opposite Aiden Hutchinson and let them go. Because Nkoum has got the dog in him. Everybody talks about, oh, you got to have this another level. He's proven it time and time again. 
Every time he makes a play, we talk to him. It's like, what was going through your mind? Said I was going to do it. It's like, yo, bring that to the Honolulu Blue and Silver. We really need that. Well, and every year of college, he's gotten better. Like, even when he made the jump from D2 to D1, I mean, he's, he just keeps getting better. And so I think that kind of speaks to the maybe the inexperience and that we haven't seen a ceiling yet. So who knows? And we've seen this with the Lions before, Ziggy Ansah. Everybody's like, he, he, we don't know his ceiling. We don't know his ceiling. I'm going to tell you, Ziggy Ansah and Thomas and Coomer are not the same person. Thomas and Coomer is a monster. Ziggy Ansah was a BYU boy. We'll just call it like that. He's very Zach Wilson-esque. <laughs> and we don't be messing with that over here. <laughs> but we've talked about a couple transfers today. A couple more names entered the portal. Luke Elzinga and Logan Guthrie joined Corey Gildersleeve Jr. in the transfer portal. The name that stands out is Elzinga. Losing the punter, that hurts. I don't really know what they're going to do behind him because our kicking game has not been a strong suit or a strong point for a long time besides Elzinga. What went through your guys' mind when you saw that he was going to transfer? I was like, oh, snap. I was like, that's not good. Yeah, you know, I was – I agree. I mean, <laughs> he's been <laughs> – He's been a pretty important part of, uh, you know, of just their special teams unit. I mean, he's been good. He's He had some – a few stretches this year where, I don't know, he wasn't kicking great, but then there are other times where he's he's just – he's got really good placement and really good accuracy. Um, so I think that one will hurt. Um, behind him on the, the depth chart, there's Ryan Peluso, who's a redshirt freshman, and Dylan Hertzberg, who's a true freshman. Um, so – I, I don't really know much about them, so I'd, I mean, probably look to one of those names at least as one of the early contenders. But um, you know, we'll see if they try to. I don't know how often teams look for punters and kickers and like transfer portal or whatnot. But but one of the bright spots for Elzinger this year was the, his ability to pin people deep. I think we're going to miss that, and one of the reasons he pinned people deep is because of Ronald Kent Jr. That man was all over the field, just hawking punts. He's headed to the NFL. He declared for the NFL draft. We've been talking about his brother going to the league. Wanted to see Ronald get there. How do you feel when you heard he was going to at least put his name in? You know, I, when I first saw it, I didn't really know how to feel. Um, it was kind of surprising, but then I guess at the same time, like, if he, I guess if he doesn't have any eligibility left, I mean, you know, that's the, that's a logical next step. Um, he can have mine if he wants it. Just, <laughs> you got to stay here. <laughs> I got four years plus a COVID year. Go dumb. But yeah, I uh, I don't know. I think that maybe he could. Um, I'm not really sure at this point, at least, if he'll get drafted. Like I kind of just think of think to uh, Pimpleton, who, I mean, it's essentially going to be the same thing as you know he performed really well, but he's undersized, and um, so maybe he'll be able to catch on as like a slot receiver or something, or or uh, corner, or who knows? Maybe he's able to overcome those size differences or. Uh, hurdles i guess but but yeah no i'm i'm excited to see what he does with this opportunity no i i was shocked as well when i saw that he was going to enter the nfl draft but it makes sense like you said without eligibility you can't do anything you can't stay around here the only other option is to go try to get a check in the league i think he's good enough to play at that level i don't think the size really matters he's got makeup speed that is the biggest necessity for corners he doesn't get burnt ever even when you break on him, he's still around there. You know what I'm saying? I Now he is small, 5'10", 170. There's some big wide receivers in the league. You hope you don't ever got to line up on Travis Kelsey. You know what I mean? Because 
He's going to run you down, and it's not going to be fun for you. But I'm excited for him. I just I hope he gets to hear his name called. That would be incredible. But to go from where he was when he started at CMU, where we weren't even sure if he was going to be one of the top cornerbacks, to cementing himself as the number two option on the team right behind his brother, let's hope he can at least get a shot with a team like Khalil Pimbleton did. I think he'll take advantage of it, I think especially if it's a team like Detroit. I'm always going to say, just bring them all to Detroit. Stack the team with people I know so I don't got to start learning new people. But next year, the season's, or the year's not going to be any easier for CMU football. They got a couple of monsters in the preseason, early season games. So hopefully McIlwain figures it out. Because after his last, worst season in program history, at least being here, the only way is up. What do you think McWayne does going forward? Do you think he hits the transfer portal hard? What do you think he's going to do? Um, I it seems like it, it certainly seems like with the the way college football is kind of uh, trending at this point, like I'm pretty sure every every head coach of a program will at least you know dip their toes in the transfer portal and see what they can get because I mean every off season there's just going to be like you know it's just going to be utilized more and more because. Um, you know that's just kind of the way things are going. So, um, so yeah, certainly I think he's going to look. I don't know if, um, I guess I don't know if he'll use it as like the main method of kind of like re- building and rebuilding. Um, I'm sure he'll use it kind of to, um, I guess, plug certain holes that remain in the roster, kind of. Um, but yeah, I could see him uh, certainly going after, um, you know, maybe some pass catchers. That was a big time need, um, and then. You know, maybe I could also see them going after, like, let's say a linebacker or something. Yeah, I kind of – I think he'll definitely hit the transfer portal. I think – I like what Ryan said about, like, filling in those gaps of what you lost this year, especially with um, losing Joel Wilson. And I think we have some talent on that end that we already have, and I think if they work with them, like, during the off season, I think they can bring some special things next year. So I think definitely hitting that portal to just – Grab some extras. Definitely won't hurt. I think he's got to hammer it for wide receivers. Yeah. To well, be honest with you, we need something there. Yeah. And I didn't even think about Joe Wilson, which he definitely he could absolutely go in and try to find, you know, that tight end one because there weren't too many guys who really uh, separated themselves after Wilson went out. Uh, D.C. Temple looked good until he got hurt earlier in the season, and he's young. But, but yeah, I could definitely see them going to get, like, a veteran – uh, tight end to kind of fill a similar role that you know Wilson did that's a good point that I didn't even think about that who knows what his future holds another player we're still kind of waiting on to see what's next for him is Carlos Carrier I wouldn't be shocked if he puts his name in for the NFL draft I just don't see him getting a contract or getting signed to getting drafted he may get a undrafted free agent contract same way KP did but he's just not as explosive as KP is he's a very good Possession wide receiver, a tall body if you need that. But weight-wise, he's very undersized to play this position at the, in the big leagues. And I think players like Mika Fitzpatrick are going to lay the wood to him. You know what I mean? So we'll see what happens going forward. If any more news breaks, you can find it on cm-life.com because we're going to have every transfer signing, transfer portal entry, and NFL draft declarer right there. Thank you all for joining me. And now we welcome on CM Life Volleyball Beat Reporter Kaya Zimmerman. How's it going, Kaya? 
Good. How are you? Good. So it's been a minute since we've talked about volleyball, but a couple weeks ago they traveled to Muncie, Indiana to play in the Mid-American Conference Tournament. Didn't go the way we thought it was going to go. They swept Toledo and then lost in the second round or semifinals to Ball State 3-1. What did you see in that first game against Toledo, Kyle? I mean, I think we saw what we saw from them all year and how they've been able to dominate on the blocking side of things. They had 11 total blocks and it was Maddie Whitfield again leading the pack with seven blocks. And then you had all the seniors contributing, all of them, all three led in kills. Uh, Maddie with six, Mallory with eight, and Anna with 13. And Anna really showed out this tournament. She actually received MAC All-Tournament team with 24 kills in the two-game stretch. And she did really well. So I think we just saw what we've been seeing from them this whole turn or this whole year. No, I agree. It was a lot of defense and things switched though against Ball State. Seemed like we were going to put up a better fight than we did. In the end, they lost 3-1. What did you see in the final game of the MAC tournament for CMU? Um, I don't think it was a thing of like Central didn't play to what Central can play as. I think it was a matter of a couple points and momentum switch shifts. I mean, they played at Ball State, in front of Ball State fans, there was a lot of um, – the energy was all for Ball State. If a, if a Central got a point, it got quiet. If Ball State got a point, you know, it erupted. And I think there was a couple – there was one call that really shifted the whole momentum of the game um, and just some small things that happened. I don't think it necessarily was a performance issue. I think it was just the aspects of where they were and some calls, and I think they could have – taken it it just it was close the whole way through no and it was it didn't feel like it was a blowout there were parts of the game where it felt like yo we need to turn it around a little bit but I wasn't overall upset with how they played I think that they got to know that in Ball State's gym the calls aren't going to go your way and you're going to be up against it I think they needed to start a little faster than we saw from them I think you slap Ball State right away it's a different game they let Ball State get a little bit in their own feelings in the game, let the crowd hype them up. Like you said, whenever CMU would score, it would the energy would drop. But that's what you've got to feed off of is, oh, we're taking their hearts. I think if we see that, it's a different thing, but it's also Ball State in their home gym. They were the best team in the MAC. It didn't end up that way. Thank you, Bowling Green State. Never thought I'd say that for that crappy school, but – Although CMU lost in the MAC tournament, their season did not end. They got to go play in the NIVC against Xavier. What did you see from the team in that guy? I mean, again, it wasn't necessarily a performance thing. It was, and I Golic even said this, it came down to just a few points, you know, a few momentum shifts, even in the first set. I mean, they only lost by two. Uh, in the second set, it went, or in the third set, it went to, it was 29-27, so it went extra for a very long time and they were just trading points trading points and they just couldn't get that final kill to take the set so I don't think it was necessarily a performance issue from Central Michigan I also think their blocking was something that just wasn't there that night and that's what makes them I mean what Golic has said is makes them special so when you don't have blocking that can lead to I would say that's a performance issue no I know I know I'm just saying but I know but you've said uh, this isn't a performance issue if your block is not there and you've prided yourself on that all year and you got two of the better blockers in the MAC. I think that's a performance issue. I, I, that's, I, that is the one performance issue that I saw. But I don't think it was anything about their energy or like lack of, you know, a lot of people might say they haven't played in a minute um, going into this tournament, and a lot of they might have thought their season was done at the MAC tournament, that kind of stuff. Those kind of factors, I don't think went into it. I think 
That was actually my first thought, and I think it was a dumb decision from them. They had a not anyone that on the team. I'm not saying the team did anything wrong, but there was an inkling that they were going to make a tournament. Maybe not the Natty tournament, the NCA Big Dog tournament, but there was an inkling before the MAC tournament was even over that they were going to get to the NIVC. They should have told the players that at least. Hey, there's a shot, and maybe they did. We don't know because we were not in those rooms. But I thought that after it was like, did hiding it hurt this team because they thought they were done and now they got to get back up? And then when you see the final score of the game, it makes it seem a lot more like, yo, they just they weren't ready for it. I'm not going to put that on. I think that team was ready. I you, Sometimes you run into a team who's more ready that day and who's more ready to go get it, and that's going to be what it is going to be. They can't claim this is a bad season because of how it ended. They have talent for the future that's going to lead this team even further, in my opinion. What do you think the future looks like for them? Well, I think this season set a tone, I think, of what Central Michigan Volleyball can be and will be for the future. I mean, they have only three seniors, and yes, those three seniors obviously have had such an impact this year. Maddie Whitfield, Mally Hernandez, and Anna Erickson, three of their top players. Obviously, they're leaving, but they have so much talent coming up. But like I said, I think this year set a tone of what Central Michigan Volleyball can be. I think last year they had a really down season, but they came back and they lost a lot of players and they came back and were even stronger and defied whatever everyone thought they would be. They did. They exceeded what everyone thought they would be. I think the way this team plays and Golic even got emotional talking about it after the NIVC first round just saying like the way this team plays the way they play for each other like that's what I want to see and I think that will continue because of Golic and because of the players that they have left I think Ellie Medendorp she'll be a senior next year I think she's going to be the person that's going to lead this team next year um she's just one is such a great player but also has that energy that to her and then I think you know you have young freshmen Natalia Ramet and Claire Amaral, Claire Amaral literally is all over the place on the floor, so I think she's going to be... You have Ali Gratiza coming back. Um, even Maddie Gebhardt came in at the end of the NIVC game. He had four kills in a very crucial time in the match, even though they didn't pull out with a win. She had four kills in that overtime like spot. So I think she's going to be a big addition. It's just they have a lot of talent, and I think this season proved that volleyball, this volleyball team is good and that I think that will continue. I hope it does continue. I think he's gone crazy with the recruiting. He's going to have some good players here again. But as I've learned, it's it can be one year you can win and one year you can lose. And it's been a very quick swing with CMU Volleyball. I hope that it's not a quick swing down because last year was the down. This year has been positive. Let's stay on the upswing because Golic deserves it. I think the team, he's established himself, one, as a, a leader to take not only to lose key players but to lose your whole coaching staff and then turn the team into a better team. It says something about him. Now I thought he was going to have a MAC championship two ways this year. He didn't get either one. So hopefully next year that's what they get. But – now you are on women's basketball, so if you want to see more of Kai's stories, go to cm-life.com. Thank you for joining me. And now, a word from our sponsor. 
Green Tree Co-op Market is ready for fall. Their new location is just one mile from CMU's campus and open from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. daily, offering more fresh, delicious local options than ever before, including a bakery and a daily hot bar. This location also has indoor and outdoor seating, larger produce and meat departments, and a student discount every Friday. Stop by anytime for fresh coffee, quick snacks, easy meals, hair and skin care, savory soups, and all the fall essentials. Green Tree, now at 410 West Broadway, Mount Pleasant. Visit greentree.coop for more information. And now we welcome on CM Life women's basketball beat reporter, James Bessenhofer. How's it going, James? Doing good, Sean. How are you? Pretty good, and things are going well in the women's basketball world. They finally got their first win, seven games in the season. You covered the game. It was your first game in person against North Dakota State. What did you see from the team? I saw a team that really came out and uh, wanted it more, really. I mean, we beat a really good North Dakota State team who was ranked 19th in the mid-major polls. Uh, they were also uh, had one loss on the season before facing us. But uh, really, what I saw was the bright spots of the freshmen. Bridget Upberg and Sydney Harris, those two really came came around and we saw a good ball. They played together. They were electric on the court together, feeding each other for three-pointers or backdoor cuts. And then another thing that shocked me was uh, we used small ball to beat North Dakota State, which was really something that I thought was surprising just because going into the season, we said we're one of the bigger teams. And And Osley's been consistent about I want to get our bigs going. They are, like you said, the biggest team around – you got a six-five center. You got Jahari down there. So, like you said, to see him go small ball and get it done, that's impressive. I think we also went small ball, too, because the loss of Jahari Smith, obviously not playing in this game, was a huge factor. Well, first... We had a chance, 17 seconds left. Oshley calls up a play. It doesn't work. We call a timeout with nine seconds left. We get the ball. We give it to Sydney Sydney Harris. She takes kind of – she could have held it longer, looked for a better shot, kind of just threw it up right away, airballed in the North Dakota State with, what, 2.9 seconds left, I think it was, had a chance to close it out. And uh, Taylor Anderson – who's been a defensive freak this year for the team, just a really good defensively for the team. Her and Anika Weeks, uh, she made a great assigning play, got the ball, tipped the ball, and made it go out on North Dakota State, and we got the ball left with 2.5 seconds left, I'd like to say. And then, yeah, North Dakota State tried fouling us, tried fouling us, so we, did, so we just have to take uh, two free throws instead of giving a chance to win the game. And uh, Sydney Harris spotted it out and went up as she started falling and went to the line and made all three. And I was really nervous. I don't know how. As a freshman, the crowd was going insane the whole game. I don't know how she made all three. That's incredible. But she said after the game, talking to her, uh, she said she's been moments like that where she's had to make big-time free throws at the end of the game to either close it out or win it for the team. So she had the experience through high school ball with that but it's kind of different from high school ball to a moment like that oh no doubt when McGurk is on the edge of its seat waiting for you to win the game and you got to say that's incredible knowledge by a freshman to be like yo they're about to follow me we need three points 
pull up. You know what I mean? That's some 2K stuff. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pull up and try to get three out of this. The fact that she buries all of them only speaks to who she is as a competitor. This team has been losing. They were on a six-game losing streak. It's easy for a team at that point to be like, yo, check out. We're not winning nothing. She's not going to ever quit. Her and Upberg don't ever, and Anderson, like you said, they don't feel like they got any quit in them. And Taylor Anderson, she doesn't put up the numbers offensively where people really focus on her. She's a killer on the defensive side of the ball. She is. She can jump with anybody in the conference. I've The only person who can out-jump her is Carrington Gordon, and she's on the bench right next to her. You know what I mean? Like We got size and we got athleticism. I think this is the turning point this team needs. To, like you said, the 19th-ranked team in mid-major basketball, it came down to the the final shot, the final seconds, but we got it done. Going forward, this got to give them some confidence. What do you think about that? I definitely will give them confidence. That's what O'Shirley and Sydney Harris said after the game. They said this is the game we needed to really put our foot down. You could see them. They were dancing together, cheering in center court after the game. And Sydney Harris said this is the one that we need to get going. We have a couple easy games ahead of us. Uh, besides Cleveland State, after that, a couple easy games ahead of us. And this is what we really needed to kick off that and start winning some games here, pick up some momentum. And then talking to Osterley also, she said about the game is that uh, she likes how fast we're starting in the first half. She liked it against Michigan State when we played them here. She liked it against Tulane when we played them the day after Thanksgiving that night. And she also liked it today. But she said the third quarter has been giving them problems. And they got beat in the third quarter against Michigan State. They got beat in the third quarter against West Virginia. They got beat in the third quarter against Tulane. So it hasn't, coming out of halftime has not been the strong suit for this team. And, again, they did it against North Dakota State. We had a nine-point lead. You blink, and it's a 16-4 to run by North Dakota State, just bullying us in the paint. Yeah. I think they had 44 points in the paint, just dominated us in the paint. But we used our guard play to beat them, Sidney Harris and Bridget Upberg. But uh, – she, she just said, she, and I talked to her about after the game, how she, she came back in the fourth quarter. She said, I didn't do anything. It was the players. I told one person on my staff, I said, while I was talking to my staff, I told one person on my staff to go to the team where they're all huddled up together and say, they won the third quarter, but we're going to win the fourth. We're going to win the second. We're going to win the first, second, and fourth. Who cares if they won the third? And I like that attitude by Osterley, really. And the team followed around her and what she said. And they came back in the fourth quarter. Anika Weeks had clutch baskets. She had a, she picked up uh, Sydney Harris, airballed the three. She got the rebound right under the right under the basket, picked it up for an easy two, which we needed to score on that possession. And then also Sydney Harris found her for a corner three. So Anika Weeks stepped up also in the fourth quarter, and we just got the job done. No, and I agree. Anika Weeks is one of those players that is always in the right spot when it comes to rebounds. She is a smaller forward, but Osterley likes to use her a lot as a four or a three. Four rebounds. But I think the biggest point that you mentioned is that Osterley sent Michaela Kelly to the huddle to say, hey, we they won this quarter. That woman played in the WNBA. She's a CMU legend. It carries a lot of weight with those players. You know what I'm saying? So to see them respond and not and they just could have. They lay could down have. They and be like, yeah, we can't win it. Fourth quarter, they're up two. Going into the fourth quarter, I think they're up two. They went on a 6-0 run, and we were down eight in the fourth quarter. And that right there could have been where they were sat down and laid down and given up, but came back. And that's what Osterley needs to get out of this team. Last year was rough, and they didn't show any fight. 
down the stretch. They won a couple games, but it wasn't like what we saw against North Dakota State. Now, you keep mentioning this team's name, Cleveland State. They welcome Cleveland State to McGurk Arena on December 8th at 11 a.m. That's an early, early tip. Early game. Early. Weird, weird time for a game. <laughs> weird day and time for Nobody this. wants to be shooting <laughs> warm-up J's at 10 in the morning. <laughs> We're about to get it on. But I love predictions. What do you think is going to happen against Cleveland State? I think with the win we just had against a really good North Dakota State team, I think we keep on rolling. You look at Cleveland State, they're 5-0. and They have not played the strength of schedule that we have. Not even close. We've played Michigan State. We've played a great West Virginia team. We've played a decent Tulane team. I mean, a really good uh, Eastern Illinois team also. So I think just that by itself, you look at our record 1-6, and six, but we played great teams. I mean, we've hung in there for some parts of the game against them. And I think now that we got the guard play rolling and uh, Carrington Gordon has stepped up big time off the bench as one of our bigs for Jahari missing – She's been huge. Uh, she led the game in rebounds against North Dakota State, and Oshley said she's a freak athlete. Oh, th- yeah, she can fly. I think with Gordon, Rochelle, Nadege down in the bigs, we'll do our stuff that we usually do in there. And then with the rising of the two freshmen, Upberg and Sydney Harris, trying to work together, and I saw that in the North Dakota State game, you know, feeding each other, you know, just working together really. This time I really saw that, like, growth out of this game between the last couple of games, I think that matters. And I think now we got both great guard play and big play that we could go to whenever we need it. No, and I agree. I think we pull off the win against Cleveland State. I think it's going to shock some people, but I think we go on a little winning streak here for a second. I I don't, unless Jahari is out for an extended period of time where we don't see her back in maroon and gold, I don't see this team going backwards. I think that... We beat Cleveland State, I think, after that, December 11th at 1 p.m. They head to the ATL to face Georgia Tech. I think we beat Georgia Tech, too. I think we come out of that on a three-game win streak heading into the last two games before the MAC conference starts. What do you think happens in the Georgia Tech game? The Georgia Tech game is going to be interesting. I mean, they're pretty good. Uh, it just depends, you know. Uh, that's... I'd like to say we win, but it would be probably a probably a really good close game. Um, just depends on how we come out. Are we going to get jet lagged again? You know, we haven't really won on the road yet. <laughs> I mean, True. we just won the first time on home, so you can't really <laughs> say anything about that. But um, you looked how when they traveled to Cancun, uh, that didn't really work out well. But if they could get stuff together and uh, – you know, you never know when Sydney Harris is going to catch fire either. It could happen like that anytime, any place. So, I think I think we'll lose the game, but I like I just think it's going to be a close game. I I can't really predict that one. No, I agree. I think they're both going to they're going to be close. It's not going to be we blow them out by any stretch of the imagination. But I think we've realized we can win close games as long as we don't give up. And I think that carries us through. Now, I'm real bad at predictions, so I'm probably going to be wrong. <laughs> I have not hit a single prediction all year, so don't follow me if you're looking for sports betting advice. <laughs> That's the best way to put that. But besides that, then there's two games left, like we said, gets into Mac play. You've seen McGurk now with a team that nobody really cares about. 
how are you feeling when it gets to Maction where all these games matter in that building? It gets hype for women's basketball. No, it definitely does. I mean, the crowd was in it. You could hear the you hear the stomps when I you know I'm trying to write my paper for this game and just the stomping of the, the bench or the, yeah the benches. And this, they're right behind you. Yeah, they're we're the right, right behind you, sitting, <laughs> just clamoring, getting hyped. Uh, no, McGurk is definitely a fun atmosphere, but a tough place to play if you're if you're going there. It's a oh, tough yeah. place to play. No, and Michigan State found that out. They thought, oh, we're just gonna go mop CMU up and. The fans came out swinging, and so did the team. So this is my call to action to all the fans. Go to these games. Women's mm-hmm. basketball, I I get, oh, they don't dunk like the men. Carrington Gordon can dunk. Yeah. We've done seeing it. She has another level of elevation. Go support this team because I think once we start to get our legs under us, we can make a run in the MAC, and that's where it all really matters. All these pre-MAC games don't mean anything in the long run. Especially come out and see just the electricity of uh, Sydney Harris. I mean, she is electric. She's one of the best scorers I've seen in women's basketball. I mean, she can really shoot it when she's on. And, she's a uh, little LeBron James. Yeah, and she's she's not afraid to shoot. She'll shoot she'll shoot forty times in a game if she needs to, and won't blink twice. No, you are not lying. There is nothing that woman is afraid of less than shooting. She is pulling up from forty. It don't matter. <laughs> But that's, I think, the mentality we need is the shooter shoot. Mm-hmm. Don't get out. Because she started the season real bad from three. She's slowly finding her rhythm, but she never stopped shooting it. Last year we saw players shell up when they went over two, and it's like at that point you just got to keep firing. Mm-hmm. If you're really a shooter, you know it. It's, yeah. it's going to come. I'm going to get mine. This is the way <laughs> it goes. And I think sydney has got that same mentality. Same thing with Bridget Utberg. She's a shooter, oh, yeah. and she knows she's a shooter. Mm-hmm. She's going to get back in that mentality of where she's giving people the business. We could see by her senior year and Sydney's senior year, 30-point-a-game players, like just two of them. You know what I mean? And then Taylor Anderson, whatever she develops into. Down the line, this team is going to be crazy, so support them now so you don't say you missed out. And I, and I know, just one last thing, I know I gave Taylor Anderson and Nico Weeks defensive credit, but in the first half of the North Dakota State game, we only had four steals. And all four steals were by Bridget Upberg. So she also does bring the defense. I got to shout her out on that, too. Can't leave her out of that. No, and I'm glad you did because she is an insane player. Her handles, her defensive intensity, and what she can do from three, she might be better than Molly Davis, and everybody loves Molly around here. You know what I mean? Give her three years yeah, to get Yeah, give her a couple of years, and she'll – She's going to be the player who pulls up from 35 and it goes in. You know what I mean? So – All right, thank you for joining me, James. Thank you for having me, Sean. And now we welcome on CM Life. What the fuck was I going to say? And now we welcome on CM Life men's basketball beat reporters, Megan Youngblood and Ashley Bergness. (laughs) How's it going? Good, Sean. How are you? Pretty good. How's it going, Ashley? It's going good. Well, things are looking up for the men's basketball team. They're 4-4 and on the year, but they just pulled off back-to-back wins over Purdue Northwestern and Alma. Uh, They started with a win over Purdue Northwest, 74-67. What did you guys see from the team in that win? So what I saw from the Purdue Northwest game is a lot of players coming together, um, especially in the absence of certain players. Because without, um, they were out without sophomore center Marcus Harding and sophomore guard Kevin Miller Miller due to undisclosed injuries. And uh, junior guard Jesse Zarzuela and freshman 
freshman forward um, Max Marley, both with the flu. So it gave an opportunity for a lot of different players to step up, like Reggie Bass and Brian Taylor both had career high in points, as well as Nicholas Pavetti had a career high blocks for CMU. And Pav Reddy's looked crazy recently. We'll get to the Alma game in a second, but what did you see from the team, Ashley? No, yeah, going off what Megan said, like, it was kind of eye-opening not and, like, gave a sense of, like, okay, we have more than just Kevin Miller. It was like we have these other guys that can step in because that was a thing we struggled with last year was we only had that only – few people to rely on but now we're seeing that we have more than just a few we have like men can go down the list like you can just there's so many people that contributed to that game and that have so much potential to contribute to like the rest of the season no doubt and it's good to see barbie in a good mood for a change it feels like he's hit or miss but these wins have made him brighten up a little bit the alma game we won 89 50 it didn't even feel like it was that close most of the way Pavretti went perfect from the floor, 12 for 12. First, tell me what you guys saw from him. When did you know he was going crazy? Uh, Kind of since the beginning, literally. the We just, like, were at such, like, a faster pace against Alma. Um, Kind of just left Alma in the dust, and it kind of, like, gave Nico just a chance to go off. He, like, from start to finish, he was, he was dunking on him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. He was a force in that game. I watched a little bit of it here and there. Once I saw we were blowing him out, I was like, well, at least Ryan gets to cover a great story for his first one. It's not something we're used to in the football world, but I'm excited to see where the team goes forward. I think I think Max Marley's going to be a force for this team. Carrington McCaskill, he's a flyer. Who do you think is going to be the guy to stand up, and when do you think we're going to get Kevin Miller back? For me, I think we're just going to see uh, more things from Reggie Bass. Uh, with him be like with Kevin being out, uh, it kind of gave Reggie that chance to shine. And there's just it's day to day with Kevin. You don't know when he's coming back. Like he could come back for a game and then be out another game. So it's really nobody knows right now. And so I think it's really giving Reggie some time to show what he can do to, for everyone. I definitely agree with Ashley that uh, Reggie is this kind of is his moment, but I also don't think it's just going to be one player. I think it's going to be a combination, and I mean, the past couple games we've seen Reggie Bass, Brian Taylor, and Pervetti kind of come in and take control of the game, so I think it's going to be like that. The next couple games, you might have one player who stands out, but then the next game, it might be another player. You might have one game where three people stand out, or four people even, so I think um, them being out is going to kind of give other players a chance to step up and show that they can also lead this team in the same way that Kevin Miller did. I also think um, when Jesse gets healthy again, I think he's also, before he missed a few games, he was he was kind of like their shining star while Kevin was out. So I think once he gets healthy again and they have him back, uh, he is also someone to look out for. No, I agree. I think you guys are spot on with everybody. I think Miroslav Stoffel, we're going to see him kind of come into his own here too. He looked good in the beginning of the Alma game, but it's Alma. All of the excitement we have, it happened against Alma. So, like, tamper your hopes a little bit. Realize that we're going to go into the max schedule. And without Kevin Miller, shit like this isn't going to happen. We're not going to pull off wins like we just did where we're slapping people around. Now, I I don't know what Barbie's move is going to be because with this many injuries, it's going to be hard 
to keep people healthy down the stretch. But Pavretti is a guy who was hurt last year. Now he's back. Do you think he can consistently stay at this level, or do you think we're going to see, as the season wears on, him start to have problems with injuries? Because he's a seven-footer. You know what I mean? He's not a short man. I think he'll be able to stay consistent because I think he knows how hard to push himself. And, like, he knows what's going to injure him from last year. So I think he's going to be able to stay healthy and stay consistent and going to try his hardest with all the other injuries and health-related issues that they have going on the team. He wants to be a consistent force for this team. So I think that's going to kind of keep him not pushing too hard but not, like, holding back in the moment as well. No, yeah, I agree with Megan. I think – I mean, yeah, there's always that potential of injury, but I think Megan brought up a good point about him knowing his limit. Um, And I think Barbie, too, he – he knows injuries, and we had this issue last year with injuries and games being canceled and due to injuries and stuff like that. So I think the injuries is always going to be on Barbie's mind, and I think he's going to kind of be looking out for Nico and being like, we have we can take the load off for him too. Like we have some more people, but I think I think he's only going to go up from here. I think that's a great point. They are not as strapped for height as they were last year. At least it doesn't feel like. Stoffel didn't play as many games early season last year as he is this year, so it's. I think we're going to see a balance of it, but I think Pavaretti's only going to go up from here. Yeah. I'm very excited to see what he does. Now, granted, he was doing it against much smaller competition. On Wednesday, December 7th at 7 p.m., they welcome Robert Morris to McGurk Arena. It's a little bit harder competition. What do you think we're going to see from the team? So Robert Morris is currently 3-6, and six and they're coming off a loss. So I think it'll be a good matchup. Because, I mean, CMU's coming off two wins, so they're striving to get three in a row. And I think Robert Morris, coming off a loss, is looking to get back in the win column after winning previously. I think CMU's going to come out, and uh, I think the kind of mentality, I think they knew, their last few games, like, yeah, they were lower teams, and I think they knew CMU kind of had that thought. So I think going into this game, because Barbie's talked to them about that, like, we should be beating these you know, teams like Alma. So I think with them going into um, playing Robert Morris, they could probably have that mindset of like, yeah, we've seen these other teams, but this isn't going to be the same. We got to keep it up. We got to step it up. And um, I think hopefully they get some players back, and I think they'll they'll do pretty good against Robert Morris. No, I think that you're right, and so is Barbie. They should have been smacking these teams around. It's good to see they did it against Alma. I think Robert Morris is another one of them teams you got to give the business to. Their leading scorer's name is Enoch Cheeks. He averages 15.6 points per game. They have two other scorers who average 12 a game or over or double digits a game, but they're not a crazy scoring team. I think we beat the crap out of them. Yeah. I think we put it on them beginning to end with or without Kevin Miller. I think without Kevin Miller, it's only going to help the young guys get better at understanding what they need to do it's going to be hard for them to adjust when he gets back having to have stepped up the way they are but I think it will only help the team going forward on Saturday December 10th they head to Tulsa Oklahoma to face Tulsa at 3 p.m. it's the final game of the weekend what do y'all think is going to happen I think when they go to Tulsa, they're going to come out again with the wind, kind of keep the wind streak alive and the wind streak going. And we're going to keep seeing those young players step up and hopefully see Kevin Miller and maybe Marcus Harding back in the lineup because I think it'd be a good combination 
bringing all their talent together and seeing what they can all do. I'm going opposite. I think they go to Tulsa and they lose. I think they're com- they're going to be coming off a three home game. Um, what's the word? Stand? Yeah, three home game stand. So I think they're going to hit the road and it's not going to be what they have been playing. See, I agree with Ashley, and I hate to do it. I think we're going to lose this game. Tulsa's a long way away from Michigan, and we don't have a lot of success in Oklahoma. If you look all the way back to the football season, it didn't go our way, and I think that it continues with basketball. Different programs, still the same old thing. Sam Griffin, is their leading scorer, he averages 15.4 a game. They got two other players in double digits. It's another one of them games where I don't think they're a crazy offensive powerhouse, but I don't think CMU's going to have packed the shooting when they head to Tulsa. I think we're going to see a lot of bad three-pointers that are reminiscent of the days of Molly Davis on the women's basketball team. And we're just not there anymore. All right, thank you all for joining me.